Someone once described the next generation with this statement. We'll, we'll put it here on the screens for you. They think they know everything, and they are always quite sure about it. It's okay. You can you can laugh. Maybe you've used similar phrases to describe select young people in your own life. No judgment here. Maybe it was your difficult teenager who thought he knew better than you. Maybe it was that that waitress who got your order wrong for the fifth time. Maybe it's that 26-year-old life group guy at Northbrook. I I don't know who it is. Um, Most of us have been there. It's funny. I've even caught myself talking this way about the next generation, which is odd uh, because I, I pretty much am the next generation. I'm not sure what that says about me. I have this, this working theory that you become a grown-up as soon as you start complaining about young people, but I'm not quite sure yet. The only problem is this, that that quote that I just shared with you all, it wasn't actually written about our kids. It wasn't written about young people in our lives today. That was an excerpt from the art of rhetoric. It's an ancient work written by Aristotle in the 4th century BC, almost 2,500 years ago. Aristotle, he goes on to say, young people are high-minded because they have not yet been humbled by life, nor have they experienced the force of circumstances. That's, That's interesting. I have to share one more with you all. I thought this one was funny. This is from a document entitled Essays in Idleness. It's written by a Japanese monk in the 1300s. He says, Modern fashions seem to keep on growing more and more debased. The ordinary spoken language has also steadily coarsened. People used to say, raise the carriage shafts or trim the lamp wick. But people today, they they just say, raise it or trim it. Oh no, right? When... When they should say, let the men of the palace staff stand forth, they say, torches, let's have some light up in here. I'll admit it, the up in here was my personal addition. That was not part of the initial quote, but hopefully this is entertaining for you all. But I share these quotes to make a point as well, because it seems that whether you lived 2,500 years ago or 800 years ago or now, we all seem to suffer from a very similar problem, worrying about the generation to come, worrying about the next generation, whether it be their language or their clothes or their convictions, we have a hard time believing that they will be able to do their part in picking up where we left off. And as tempting as this perspective can be, trust me, I, I get it. I believe that as the church, we're called to something different, something better, because the way that I see it, hopelessness and despair regarding the future and the next generation. It's, it's opposite. It's antithetical to Christ's church, to, to the present and coming kingdom of God. So over the next few moments this morning, I hope to, number one, offer a renewed vision of God's sovereignty as it relates to the next generation. And number two, we'll follow that up with just a few invitations of how we can best come alongside young people today. Excited to get into it. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for this time. 
Help us to recognize your presence this morning, that you are active and that you are moving and that you are with us and that you are active and that you are moving and that you are with the next generation, Lord. We lift this time up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 145, read verses 1 through 13. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. Amen. Aren't those words just refreshing for the soul this morning? And as we reflect on this text together, let me just start with an observation that may seem obvious, but I think it bears repeating, and that is this. God has not and God will not abandon the next generation. He won't abandon them. Like we just heard from David, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures through all generations. The next generation is the Lord's. They are his creation. They are in his hand and he won't fail them. And we can rest in that as followers of Jesus. But don't hear me saying that this means that we can all sit back and, and put our feet up and say, God's got this. Yes, God, God does have this. Nothing can thwart his purposes. But it is then our great privilege as the church to join in with his work and, and be lovingly and consistently invested in the lives of the next generation. This, this one confident proclamation that God will be faithful to them, it doesn't give us an excuse to bow out, but, but rather it equips and enables us to love and serve the next generation correctly. Not, not through our own strength, not through our own striving, which as we know often leads to burnout and despair, but through the power of the Spirit within us. Some of you are familiar with my own story, so I had the great privilege of growing up as a part of this faith community here at Northbrook. I was dedicated here, I attended all throughout my childhood, I was involved in seven, I, I played on the worship team, and obviously I had my ups and downs with my faith journey as any kid does, but, but Northbrook, it was a very consistent part of my life. 
And, and it is so cool now to reflect on those years as a young adult with, with two kids of my own because the one thing that I can confidently say is that God was faithful to me and he was faithful to my generation just like David promised he would be all those years ago. And, and this wasn't some sort of abstract, theoretical faithfulness. This was real, embodied faithfulness, lived out by actual people at Northbrook who journeyed with me as I grew up and, and figured things out and matured. It was God's faithfulness through my parents who were the first people to show me that God longs for relationship with me. It was, it was God's faithfulness through Kim who, who sang songs with us as little kids and taught us what it meant to worship our creator. It was God's faithfulness through John who showed up and continues to show up week after week after week and loved all of us crazy kids. It was God's faithfulness through Taylor who sat with me in my college years as I navigated my own season of doubt and uncertainty and questioning. Is God's faithfulness to me and to my generation through, through people like you. And this, friends, is exactly why we can't sit on the sidelines because, yes, God, he will be faithful to the next generation. There is no doubt about that, but it seems that we serve a God who prefers to do his best work through his people. Through his people. Theologian and author N.T. Wright reminds us of this. He says, so often when people look out on the world and its disasters, they wonder why God doesn't just march in and take over. Why, they ask, does he permit it? Why doesn't he send a thunderbolt and put things right? The answer is that God does send thunderbolts, human ones. He sends in the poor in spirit, the meek, the mourners, the peacemakers, the hungry for justice people, These people, they are the way God wants to act in his world. His people, friends, they have been his plan since the beginning, since the garden. It it hasn't changed. We are his representatives, his partners in bringing his kingdom to this earth and to the next generation. So, With that reminder, for for the rest of our time this morning, I'd like to look at three ways in which this perspective changes things. This, This Psalm 145 perspective where we proclaim the greatness of God over all generations and the reality of his eternal kingdom. The first invitation being this, we stop viewing the next generation as conversion projects, but rather as real people, as real people. We've all heard the concerning statistics regarding the next generation and and declining church involvement, especially in the West. I don't need to remind us of that today. And don't hear me saying that this isn't something to be concerned about. Some of my best friends from growing up fit into that category and, and it weighs on me. That, that they no longer feel that the church is a place they want to belong to and invest in. But with all the studies and the statistics and the trends, here's the, the subtle shift that can happen in our minds and in our hearts if we're not careful. The next generation becomes a problem for the church to solve rather than individual people to love. 
I'll say that one more time. The next generation becomes a problem for the church to solve rather than individual people to love. Let's look at verses 8 through 9 one more time. It says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. This is the heart of our God. For, for us and for the next generation. A generation made up of real people with real stories and problems and, and, and questions. And in my mind, no program or sermon series or conference is going to fully accomplish the deep work that is required for a flourishing multi-generational church. And I hope you see some of the irony in that statement, right? We're, we're in the midst of a next-gen sermon series. We're, we're promoting a parenting conference. And these things are wonderful. I believe in them. And they're a start. But that's all they are. They're a start. For this vision to become a reality, what, what's needed is all of us coming together to fight against this problem-solving, fix-it mentality and embrace the hard work of loving real young people in our lives. I'm, I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Romans where he says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. And this leads us into our second invitation. Really, it's a, an affirmation. That's we, we affirm that our own maturing relationship with Jesus is the most important gift that we can ever give to the next generation. The the thing that is most striking to me about the language of Psalm 145, it's the the closeness, the the intimacy with which David speaks with his creator. Really really from the very beginning, verses one and two, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Ever. Just like what Mike talked about last week, if you were here, there is this awe, this wonder just flowing out of David as he writes this. In in David's mind, reaching the next generation doesn't even seem to be a question that he is concerned with, at least in this moment, because he's so enraptured, so enthralled with his God that he can't help but praise him for who he is and what he has done. And he knows that this will just naturally spill over onto the people around him. David, he's modeling exactly what he writes in verse 4, where he says, one generation commending God's works to another, telling of his mighty acts. No arguing, no debating, simply proclaiming what God has done in his power and in his goodness. So today I ask us the question, what do our lives proclaim? What does my life proclaim? And no, of course we won't be perfect, but when the next generation looks at me, looks at us as a faith community, what do they see? What do they experience? Is it the the same experience as the culture around them or is it something different? Because growing up at Northbrook, I experienced something different. I think that's one of the reasons that I'm here today. It's not because I'm special or because I have it all figured out. It's because I experienced a group of people that fought for one another. 
who, who forgave one another, a group of people who proclaimed the goodness of their God, and that was compelling. That became something that I wanted to devote my life to. And no matter what someone's story is, whether they grew up in church like me or they have never set foot in a church before, I truly believe an experience with that group of people can be life-changing. Let me share with you all one of my my all-time favorite quotes. Uh, This is from Ruth Haley Barton. She says, truly the, the best thing The best thing any of us have to bring to our leadership is our own transforming self. I 100% agree. And I think you could just as well say that the best thing any of us have to bring to the next generation is our own transforming self and our own transforming community. We don't do this faith thing alone. We do it together, coming together to pursue God and to experience him more deeply and to be transformed by his presence. One final invitation this morning, and that is simply that we recognize that we all play a part. David writes in verses 10 through 12, all your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and glorious splendor of your kingdom. David, he doesn't write that the parents, that the fathers and the mothers praise you, Lord, and the grandparents extol you. No, all your works praise you. All of your faithful people extol you. And as we heard in our Next Gen Vision video, this is truly an invitation for us all. Whatever our context, wherever God has placed us, of course, it's going to look different, right? My, my life with two little kids is going to look a heck of a lot different than somebody with no kids or an empty nester, but that doesn't change the fact that we are all called to this work together. Like I said earlier, God, he will be faithful to the next generation, but his plan is to be faithful through us. So I ask, well, what young person in your life Do you sense God's call to empower, to encourage, to equip? Maybe it's your own children. That's the season that I'm at right now. Maybe it's a niece or a nephew. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it means you start volunteering and MB Kids once a month. Maybe at seven. It's different for all of us. But the question is the same. About Six months ago, my uh, second son was born. Uh, his name is Charlie. I think we've got a picture. Yeah, he's a cutie. Love that guy. So it was, a, it was an eventful birth. Um, for those who don't know the story, he came five weeks early. Uh, and to make it more interesting, we were not able to make it to the hospital. Um, not by choice. Uh, we just We ran out of time. So we welcomed Charlie into the world in our apartment living room um, with no doctors present, no medical team present, and my wife, Christina, catching him on the way out. Yeah, she's pretty cool. I, I, I married a good one. In response to the story, a lot of people ask me, Maddie, where the heck were you? Like, why didn't you, why didn't you catch him? And I was like, that's easy. I was passed out on the floor next to her. (laughs) 
Just kidding. I was conscious, I swear. But I was on the phone with the paramedics, and he just uh, slipped out uh, sooner than we thought. Anyways, I can tell the whole story if later if you want to hear it. But you could sum up that whole experience with one word, with, with the word shocking, right? Absolutely shocking. At least that's the word we'll use while, uh, while we're in church. I won't share the actual words I said. Um, but I've come to realize that the next generation, it's, it's always going to shock us in some ways, right? Whether it be a accidental home birth or their, their TikTok dances, or their questions about life and God. And, and all too often, sadly, these differences, they lead to judgment and division. But, but this doesn't have to be the case. There's this opportunity, if we embrace it, to replace our judgment with, with wonder, with curiosity, and our division with gospel unity. So as we close today and just wrap up this next-gen series as a whole, I want to leave you with a few questions that can hopefully help to facilitate this shift. And these questions, they're they're not meant to be easy answers. They're meant to spark some curiosity in us, maybe even make us a little uncomfortable. That's, That's a good thing, right? So here they are. Let me just go through them real quick here. Number one, how might be God advancing his kingdom through this next generation? Because we know he's present. We know he's at work, right? It's just up to us to discern what he's doing through this wonderful group of people. Number two, what, what blind spots or sin patterns has this generation exposed from my own generation's culture? Because we all have our blind spots, both individually and generationally. And number three, very simply, who is one person from this generation that I can get to know better. And if you are a young person in this room, you might be sitting back feeling pretty good about yourself right about now, but you are not off the hook. I have a challenge for you as well. All the parents are like, hallelujah, right? You are invited to ask these same questions about the generation that has come before you. In a secular culture that has an increasingly negative view of our elders that views them as old-fashioned and irrelevant. It is our responsibility as young people who follow Jesus to model what respect and honor and teachability look like. It's just like what Peter wrote in his epistle. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. As young people, we desperately need the wisdom of seasoned disciples of Jesus Christ, not another social media influencer. And it's on us to seek that out. And I I truly believe that when all generations take these questions seriously and this posture of humility towards one another, the church, it really can be that, that shining city on a hill, that, that flourishing example to our culture of how to do this messy business of multi-generational community well. And I, I see that happening here in Northbrook, in, in every corner of the church in amazing ways. So my prayer for us is that through the power of the Spirit, we can continue to go deeper. Let's pray. Lord God, just thank you for this time. 
Thank you for the next generation, the the gift that they are, all the ways that they challenge us and, and confuse us, but also all the ways that they point us to you. Help us to to ask these questions. Help us to approach them with humility. Give us the grace to, to be transformed into your image, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Recently, it's come to my attention that I have a catchphrase of sorts. It seems that whenever I'm talking with somebody, one of my favorite ways to end that conversation is with the phrase, it's going to be good. I don't, I don't know where it came from, but I can't seem to stop saying it. It's going to be good. I've, I've never thought of myself as an optimist, but my words betray me, apparently. This, this whole series that we've been talking about the last two weeks, the next generation, the future of the church, our post-Christian culture, it can be heavy, right? Let's, let's be real. Let's not sugarcoat it, especially when it's not just words from a stage, but it's real young people in our lives who are struggling. So this morning, let me encourage you today with truth, with God's promise to us that no matter how things may seem right now, guess what? It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Turn to your neighbor right now and remind them of that, that it's going to be good. (laughs) It might be the farthest thing from good right now. And if that's the season that you're in, we're with you. We're praying for you. But just hold on, friends, because it's going to be good. How do I know that? Because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures through all generations. Because our God is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Amen? Amen. Have a great week.